Let's turn in God's Word this evening, first of all, to Jude. We'll read a couple of verses from Jude about Enoch, and then we'll go back to the Old Testament, Genesis, and read Genesis chapter 5. First of all, Jude, we read just verses 14 and 15. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all, all that are ungodly among them, of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now with that understanding that Enoch prophesied, let's turn back to Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man and the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Adam simply means man, called their name man. And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days after Adam, days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were eight hundred years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years, and he died. And Seth lived an hundred and five years, and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos eight hundred and seven years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were nine hundred and twelve years, and he died. And Enos lived ninety years, and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan eight hundred and fifteen years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were nine hundred and five years, and he died. And Canaan lived seventy years, and begat Mahalaliel. And Canaan lived after he begat Mahalaliel eight hundred and forty years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were nine hundred and ten years, and he died. Mahalaliel lived sixty and five years and begat Jared. Mahalaliel lived after he begat Jared eight hundred and thirty years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalaliel were eight hundred ninety and five years, and he died. 
And Jared lived an hundred sixty and two years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch eight hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were nine hundred sixty and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived sixty and five years, and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived an hundred eighty and seven years, and begat Lamech. Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech seven hundred eighty and two years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were nine hundred and six nine hundred sixty and nine years, and he died. And Lamech lived an hundred eighty and two years, and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah five hundred ninety and five years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were seven hundred seventy and seven years and he died. And Noah was five hundred years old and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of the Holy Scriptures. We take as our text this evening Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6. But Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony, that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder, of them that diligently seek him. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the remarkable statement of this text is that Enoch pleased God. We might think that the remarkable statement of this text is that Enoch was translated so that he should not see death. And though that is amazing that he was translated, there is something just as, if not more, remarkable. He pleased God. It's one thing to please your neighbor. Tomorrow, Valentine's Day, men in this nation will work very hard to 
please their wives with notes, with gifts. Children can be pleased with a reward, a treat. The neighbor can be pleased with a thoughtful gift given to them. It's one matter to please the neighbor. It's entirely a different matter to please God. Enoch pleased God. What does that even look like? To please God. And is that something that we desire? Something that lives in our consciousness, our daily consciousness that I want to please God. If others were to look at your life and evaluate your spending, what you spend your money on, to evaluate your time, what you spend your time doing, They are to evaluate what you do for entertainment. If they are to listen in on your conversations, to see what's on your phone as you scroll through it, would that person, upon observing your life, say, I am confident that this person wants to please God. Enoch pleased God. You see, it's far easier for us to be concerned either about pleasing the neighbor or pleasing our own selves. So many of our pursuits, desires, and dreams on this earth are related to our happiness, our pleasure. But Enoch pleased God. We use that as our theme this evening. Enoch pleased God. First, we'll see the meaning of this. Second, the possibility. And there, look at verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. And then we'll see the reward. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. See the reward given to Enoch that he was translated, that he should not see death. First, the meaning. Second, the possibility. Third, the reward. Before Enoch was translated, he had this amazing testimony given him. He pleased God. As God looked from His heavenly throne upon Enoch, who walked upon this earth. And as God observed Enoch's character and Enoch's confession and Enoch's conversation, and we use conversation there in the sense that the Bible uses the word conversation as a reference to one's 
lifestyle, the way that they live, as God looked upon Enoch's character, confession, and conversation, God was pleased with what he saw in Enoch, and God delighted in him. That's the idea here of Enoch pleasing God. This word pleased is not used frequently in the New Testament Scriptures. There are only three references, three uses of this word pleased. And two of those three times where the word is used is right here in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith Enoch pleased God, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. But the root of this word is used more frequently throughout Scripture. And one example of the root of this word pleased is found in Romans. Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1, we read, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And that word translated as acceptable in Romans 12, verse 1, has the same root word as what is translated in Hebrews 11, verse 5, as pleased, holy, acceptable. And so that helps us understand here what this means, that Enoch pleased God. That is to say that as God looked upon Enoch, and as God observed what Enoch did, observed his work, God accepted Enoch. There was something acceptable about what Enoch did. We might compare it or illustrate it to a teacher as that teacher stands in relation to the student. The student does his homework and then the student submits the homework unto the teacher and then the teacher looks over the work that the student did and the, student, or the, the teacher says of the student's work that it is acceptable, it will pass. That's part of the idea here of what it means that Enoch pleased God. That God looked upon Enoch's character and conversation and confession and God accepted what Enoch had done. But it's more than that. This word pleased is not simply the idea that God accepted, that God received Enoch. But it goes beyond that. God delighted in Enoch. God looked upon Enoch's labors and God was pleased with what he saw. To return again to the illustration of the teacher looking at the student's work, it's not just that the teacher gives the student a pass that The work that you have done means you may pass on to the next level. 
but the, the teacher rather delights in the work that the student has done. The teacher is pleased with that work. And then the teacher not only has that understanding within himself that he is pleased with the work, but the teacher communicates that unto the student. So it was for God to Enoch. Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. It wasn't just that God was pleased with Enoch, but Enoch was unaware of the fact that God was pleased with him. And that Enoch then had to live all the days of his life, all 365 years, wondering whether God was pleased with him or not. But Enoch had this testimony, this report. And that's why we use the figure of a teacher with a student. As the teacher gives a report card to the student, testifying to the student of how the student has performed. So it is that Enoch had this testimony, this report from God Himself that He pleased God. Would that we all could live it with that daily consciousness that we please God. What burdens we bear when we go through this earth not aware of whether we please God or not. What burdens we bear when instead of knowing that we please God, we feel the opposite. The opposite of pleasing God is being guilty before God. And what a burden that is to be condemned before God. Enoch pleased God. But let us become more specific here. How did Enoch please God? And here other passages of Scripture help flesh out the idea of how it was that Enoch pleased God. We begin in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 5, verse 22. We read there, and Enoch walked with God. And that's repeated in the 24th verse. And Enoch walked with God. That's in the first place belongs to how it was that Enoch pleased God. He pleased God this way in that he walked with God. Enoch lived in a covenant relationship with God. Enoch understood that God was his creator, that God had shaped man from out of the dust of the ground. Enoch understood that God was the sovereign I am. And Enoch loved this God. Enoch delighted in that God. Enoch walked with God. That Enoch walked with God means that Enoch lived in the presence of God. Enoch was close with God. Enoch sought an intimate relationship with Almighty God. 
Enoch was not content to say, well, God is in the heavens and I am on this earth, so I am going to concern myself with all things earthy, and I'll let God take care of the things that are heavenly. No, Enoch walked with God. The light of God's countenance shone down upon Enoch as Enoch walked with God. That Enoch walked with God means negatively that Enoch did not walk with the world. For the one who walks with God cannot be walking with the world. John, 1 John, helps us understand that there is a distinction between walking with God and with the world. 1 John 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Enoch repudiated, hated wickedness, and he walked with God. How did Enoch please God first? By walking with God. Then Jude helps us understand how it was that Enoch pleased God. Jude teaches us that Enoch prophesied you as a preacher. Jude verses 14 and 15, and Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, these truths, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. Enoch evidently had been anointed by God with the Spirit to prophesy, to bring a word unto the people that lived on the earth at that point in history. At that time when Enoch brought the word, there was much wickedness on the earth, abounding wickedness. At that point, men were living very, very long lives, 700, 800, even into 900 years long they lived on this earth. But they did not fill these long lives with holiness and devotion unto the Lord. Instead, for many of the men who walked upon the earth at this time, they used these hundreds of years that they had on this earth in the development and the pursuit of wickedness. As we're reading through Genesis chapter 5, perhaps you notice that, that the only person of whom it is said that he walked with God was Enoch. Now that's not to say necessarily that all of the other men were wicked, unbelieving men, but it's noteworthy that Enoch alone, it is said of him, that he walked with God. Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. And at the time that Noah was on this earth, the Bible tells us that every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. 
And so there was great wickedness on the earth at the time that Enoch walked upon this earth. And yet Enoch prophesied. And Enoch brought a, a difficult word in his preaching. Behold, he prophesied, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There were the sons of wicked Cain, which sons had grown strong and influential on the earth at that point in time. And these sons of Cain were ungodly men who committed ungodly deeds against God. And it says in Jude verse 15 that they had a hard speech against God. That is to say that they resisted God with their words. They spoke against God. And how is it then that these wicked sons of Cain spoke against God? That they had hard speech against God? They spoke against God by speaking against the Lord's anointed. By speaking against the prophet that the Lord had sent forth to bring a word unto them. So there stands Enoch, and he's prophesying unto them of this judgment that's going to come on them for their ungodly deeds which they have committed. And how do they respond to this word that Enoch brings unto them? They respond with hard speech. They mock the servant of the Lord. They persecuted faithful Enoch as Enoch preached unto these wicked people on the earth. A difficult task Enoch had as he stood there, the voice of Jehovah God preaching unto the people, and yet they responded with hard speech against him. Enoch pleased God. See, Enoch was more concerned about what God thought about him than what these wicked men thought about him. But how easy it is to fall prey to the fear of men, to be governed and controlled by what others Think about me. To become dependent upon the approval and the acceptance of other men. And then when men don't give me that approval or that validation that I'm looking for, then to become angry and upset because I don't get the approval from others that I crave. How easy it is to fall prey to that type of thinking. And then it results in self-centeredness, feeling sorry for myself, that nobody really cares for me, Nobody loves me, and everybody's out to hurt me. Enoch 
did not preach in order to please men. But Enoch prophesied, and he pleased God. The only possibility of doing this is by faith. The text tells us that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Faith. It was by faith that Enoch pleased God. A brief reminder of what is faith. As we've looked at it here in the opening verses of Hebrews 11. Faith is, we have noted, that bond. That living union which places us in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Belgic Confession, Article 22 The Holy Ghost kindleth in our hearts an upright faith which embraces Jesus Christ with all His merits, appropriates Him, and seeks nothing more besides Him. Faith, we have said, always seeks and rests in and is confident in Jesus Christ. The strength of faith is the object of faith. The one in whom we believe. And then we have noted with regard to faith that faith stands over against works. And now we speak specifically in the matter of man's justification. And when it comes to God declaring unto man that he is righteous, man is justified not by His works, but by faith. This truth the adult Bible study has been seeing as we work our way through the book of Galatians. Galatians 2, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. By faith we are justified, and not by works. Now, this is not to say that faith has nothing to do with works. James says faith without works is dead. But those works that are performed by faith are the demonstration of one's faith and are never the basis or the ground of man's justification. We are justified by faith. And then that faith shows itself in works. Faith. Union with Jesus Christ, faith stands over against works. Now, understanding that about faith, how is it, why is it that this text tells us that without faith it is impossible to please Him? What about faith makes it absolutely essential if we are going to please God? I trust that By the Spirit's operation within our hearts, we do have that desire. We recognize that all too often we are concerned about being people pleasers and not often enough being concerned about being God pleasers. So having this desire to please God, even as Enoch pleased 
God, well then, how, how is that done? By faith. By faith, we, please, we are to please God. In the first place, we see it's impossible to please God without faith because without faith, man would have no desire, no motive to please God. If Enoch had not had faith in his heart, by which faith he clung to the promises of God, even the promise of the Gospel. Had Enoch had not had that faith, Enoch would have had no desire, no motive to please God. Enoch would have simply given in to the pressures of the men on the earth at that point in history who had hard speeches against him and who tried to silence that voice of truth on the earth at that point in time. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us this, that, that faith is necessary to believe even that God is. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. And the idea here is believe that He is God. That's what faith believes. Faith believes that God is God. And I need faith to believe that because I cannot see this God. He is the invisible God. He is the transcendent God. So almighty that the heavens of heavens cannot contain Him. So if I will believe that this God is, it must be by faith. By faith I believe that God is. And we mustn't simply have a vague understanding of God or a general understanding of some divine power, but we are to have an, an understanding of God that is shaped by His Word. If we form in our minds some general description of what we think God should look like, and that understanding of God is not shaped by the Holy Scriptures, then we have formed an idol. By faith we believe that He is. That God is God. And that He reveals Himself in the Holy Scriptures. And when I believe that this God is, then I with Enoch want to please Him. That's the motivation for pleasing Him. When I understand that God is entirely transcendent, that God's holiness is not just a comparative holiness, but an absolute holiness. When I understand that God is the eternal God who has no beginning and no Ending, when I understand that God sits enthroned in the heavens above and that this earth is His footstool, when I understand that God by the word of His power called the things which were not into existence, when I see how great this God is, the response of the child is, is I am filled with a sense of awe for this God. 
There's a sense of terror in my heart as I realize how small and how insignificant I am before this Almighty God. And not just that I am small, not just that I am as a particle of dust, but also this, I have rebelled against this Almighty God. When I understand that God is, that He alone is God, and there is no other God besides Him, then I have a motive, a desire within my heart to seek to please this thrice holy God. Faith. Necessary because otherwise we would not have a motive to please Him. Faith, also necessary because our works by themselves could never be pleasing unto God. That's why it is impossible to please Him without faith. Because my works, as my works come under the scrutiny of Almighty God, would never be sufficient to please Him. Faith teaches me this. Faith reveals unto me that the best of my works are still polluted with sins. And that even my holiest of activities need to be covered with the blood of God's own Son. And so faith directs us always unto the sacrifice of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. That's how we please God. Not by our own striving. Not by our own discipline. Not by our own godliness. But because God looks upon us and God views us as those who are covered with that blood of Jesus Christ. We see this even from that word pleased. Pleased. We said that that word is not used frequently throughout God's Word only three times. The third time in which that word is used is Hebrews 13, verse 16. Hebrews 13, verse 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. What pleases God? Sacrifice. Sacrifice pleases God. It came out also in Romans 12. Romans 12 verse 1, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Apart from sacrifice, God is not pleased. And we know and we all understand that our sacrifices, the sacrifices that we make in our marriages, the sacrifices that we make for our children, 
the sacrifices that we make for the other members of the church. That all of these sacrifices, necessary though they are, are insufficient of themselves to please God. We offer these sacrifices. We, following in the example of the Old Testament Israelites, let go of things, offer them unto the Lord. And yet we understand that these sacrifices that we make will never be sufficient to please the holy God. For thousands of years, the Old Testament Israelites offered sacrifices to God, and yet those sacrifices were insufficient. The only sacrifice that is pleasing in God's sight is the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. And faith believes that in Jesus Christ, not God not only is, but God also is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You see, if faith only believed that God is, but didn't go on to the rest of that verse, which says that God is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, then we would have no comfort in our heart. If faith only believed that God exists and that God is this just God and that God is filled with vengeance against every iniquity that is committed against Him and that there is coming this judgment day even as Enoch prophesied that there comes this day of judgment and there this God who is holy is going to pour out His wrath upon all who have committed wickedness then there would be no comfort. Then there would be no gospel for the child of God on this earth. But the inspired writer of Hebrews does not stop by saying, by faith we believe that He is, period. No. We believe God is and that God is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. This reward only given in grace because of the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. This reward given to Enoch was that Enoch was translated so that he should not see death. That he was translated means that he was changed. He was transformed, or rather transferred. He was transferred into the kingdom of heaven. That was God's reward to him. That he was taken into heaven was not itself unique. Abel already was in heaven. But what was unique about Enoch was the way in which he was taken to heaven. The normal way in which one goes to heaven is through death. Hebrews 9.27 It is appointed unto men once to die. Death is not a happy or joyful occasion 
especially for those who are left behind. Oftentimes, death comes to us through way of suffering. First we suffer, then we die. First we get sick. First we get cancer. First we sustain injury to the body which is so great that we cannot recover from it. And then after we suffer, we die. That's the normal way in which God is pleased to take us into heaven. But that was not the way Enoch was taken to his heavenly home. Enoch was translated that he should not see death. It was not the case that Enoch was afflicted with sickness, disease, injury, or old age. And then at last, he succumbed to death. But rather, God translated him in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when Enoch was a relatively young, 365 years old, God took him immediately into heaven. This was God's good will for Enoch. It was God's good pleasure that Enoch should be translated. It was not God's will for Enoch that Enoch would have to live out the rest of his days on this earth facing the hard speech of the ungodly men who committed ungodly deeds against Jehovah. Imagine how difficult that must have been for Enoch day by day, to prophesy, to preach. And every time he brought that word, there were ungodly men who rose up against him. What a lonely, difficult life Enoch lived when considered from an earthly perspective. And yet how rich his life was when considered spiritually. For Enoch was not alone, but Enoch walked with God. And God rewarded him according to grace by translating him so that he would not have to spend the next several hundred years facing these wicked men, but he was taken into the rest of heaven. We too seek this heavenly rest, do we not? It's by faith that we yearn for the rest of heaven. And it's only by faith that we yearn for deliverance from this earth. Man's natural desire is that he would spend as much time as possible on this earth. That's what by nature we want. We want to live what we would consider to be a full, happy 
life. We want to get married. We want to bear children. We want to be able to see not only our children, but our children's children. We have our idea of what a long, full life looks like. And sometimes God is pleased to give unto us that long, full life. But other times, God is pleased to take us what we would say is early, too soon. Sometimes God takes the infant home. God takes the father in a construction accident. God takes the mother before we could say our final farewells. From our perspective, it's early. It's too soon. And then what do we do? We look for that person. We miss them, and so we look for memories of them. Sometimes we think we can even hear their voice of them talking to us. We look for them. That's what the people did for Enoch. They looked for him, but he was not found, for God had translated him. God, in his mercy, at times is pleased to take his children off of this earth early. It is not God's judgment upon that individual. It is not done in God's anger, but it is done in God's tender, loving pity. God says to this individual, your battle is over. You don't have to fight anymore. Come. Come into the rest that I have prepared for you. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, may we be given grace that we might seek to please Thee even as Enoch pleased Thee. Reproached and rejected oftentimes we are by men even as Enoch endured the hard speech of ungodly men May we be given grace to persevere, to seek to please Thee, and to trust that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sufficient to please Thee. Forgive whatever was done in sin. Receive this worship for Jesus' sake. Amen.